Today's sermon is brought to you by the makers of Nexium, Prevacid, Prilosec, Zantac, Tagamet, Titrilac, Maalox, and Mylanta. I see that you've heard of them. Our medicine counters convict us, don't they? What we eat, what we drink, what we wear, and by extension, where we'll live, what we'll drive, what we'll do. Gerald Mann says these are the ulcer issues, the trinity of anxieties that consume our strength and sap our vitality and render us useless in the kingdom of God. Left untreated, they can cripple an otherwise healthy Christian. And I should know. When I was about 11 years old, growing up in the little paper mill town of Palatka, Florida, not too many hours from here, my father, who was a far better Christian than he was a businessman, lost his shirt, lost everything. And when your father loses his shirt, it tends to make you lose yours too. His creditors came in, and as partial payment on the substantial debt, they took our land and they took our home, and they left us with furniture and clothes and a car. And we had to move fast and start completely over. I was 11 years old. He was 40. He went to work in the local paper mill as a welder. And for the next few years, money was tight. And I learned to do something at 11 that I had never really done before. I learned how to worry. Since that time, I have slowly, and I do mean slowly, learned how to manage worry Though sometimes, and maybe this is true for you, sometimes it sneaks up behind me and it just surprises me with an icy grip around my throat. I've learned how to keep it at bay in almost every area of my life, except for money. I've always envied people who had enough money that they could be insulated from life at the moment. If they lost their job or things got bad, they still had shelter and clothing and food. They had money in the bank. And though I've never spent a single night on the street and I've never missed a meal, the worry that I might has never really left me. By the way, that worry is better than any alarm clock. It'll get you out of bed even early on an October Sunday morning. I was doing pretty well with that financial worry until the summer of 2008 when a friend of mine who was working for my former bank, Wachovia, called and said, we've turned the bank around, buy all the Wachovia stock you can afford. And I did. 
And I woke up the next morning and saw my retirement funds decimated. And then my clients started calling, you remember 2008, postponing their projects or canceling them altogether. And worry, worry and her twin sister anxiety, my old friends, were back. None of us are immune to this. We're all Christians, we all love the Lord, but we're still tormented by those little jets of stomach acid that punctuate our days. We know how scary life can be at two o'clock in the morning. Or when a hurricane comes calling and knocks us 10 feet clear of our comfort zone. And the Lord Jesus who knows our every need before we ask him, tells us in so many words, knock that off. Knock it off. Because every time you and I worry about food and drink and shelter and clothing and money and security, every time we fall victim to the choking anxiety that makes us cower in the corner of the kingdom, we call into question the character and the integrity and the love of God. Anybody here have a PhD in worry? The Bible word for worry is the Greek word merimnao. Interesting if you trace it through the New Testament. It's the word Jesus used when he gently rebuked Martha, the sister of Mary, who the scripture said got distracted by her much serving. You remember the story. Jesus had come to Bethany to visit Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. He had come looking for some peace before the cross. But all Martha could see was, we need to feed him. He needs something to eat. And in her desire to do something good for Jesus, she lost her focus and became so anxious and distracted that she allowed her whole spirit to be distorted. The word merimnao literally is a nautical term. It means to take a rope and to tie it up in knots so that it's no longer useful to be so distracted and anxious and scared and worried. If we could find a cure for that, half the pharmaceutical companies in America would go out of business tomorrow. Jay Adams tells the story of a man named Joe who was particularly given to worry. Anytime someone saw him, his face was drawn and downcast. He looked like he was carrying the weight of the whole world on his shoulders. And then one day he walked into Rotary Club and he was the picture of optimism. He was radiant and buoyant. Everybody noticed the change. And his friend Bill pulled him aside and said, Joe, what happened? He said, well, it's the most amazing story. As you know, I've always been one to worry. My doctor said to me that this was unwise and unhealthy, so I've hired somebody to do my worrying for me. Bill said, really? How much does that cost? 
He said, $1,000 a week. Bill said, how can you afford to pay him? And Joe said calmly, hey, that's his worry. (laughs) And that's the wrong cure for anxiety. To deny it or sublimate it or medicate for it or pretend like you can give it away to somebody else. God knows we've tried. But there is a better path. It is so simple. But it's not easy. It's all about God's grace. Now we Christians tend to throw around the word grace as an emotional concept. We become big believers in grace every time we get caught doing something that we shouldn't. And I want to talk to you today about strategic grace. Because strategic grace isn't about emotion at all. Strategic grace is rooted in the integrity of God. It is embodied in the righteousness of God, justice and love for God's children. It is, the scripture says, God's complete provision for every physical and spiritual need so that we might accomplish God's will for our lives in the world. It is strategic grace. The Bible says that God doesn't take care of us because we're helpless children. God takes care of us because God has big plans for us and needs us to be healthy and sheltered and well-fed and strong. God takes care of us because it's in God's best interest as well as ours to give us what we need. Strategic grace. It's not about our own cares. It's about God's great strategy for redeeming the world in Jesus' name. So all that talk about don't worry, God's going to take care of you, doesn't imply that we are somehow fearful and cowering in the corner. It's almost as though God is saying, don't you worry. I'm summoning you to the greatest adventure of your life, and I'll give you everything you need. Listen again to the, pa- to the passage Pastor Bill read a moment ago. But listen to it with the new twist from our friend Eugene Peterson. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. For there's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. They are careless in the care of God, and you count far more to Him than birds. Do you hear that? It's not about us. It's all about God. Listen, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, 
don't you think he'll attend to you too and take pride in you and do what's best for you? What I'm trying to get you to hear, he says, is to relax and not to get so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way God works fuss over all these things. But you know God and the way God works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find every of your everyday human concern will be met. And there's the cure for financial anxiety right there. Steep your lives in God. Give yourselves wholly to God. Get all excited about what God is up to. Enlist in God's army. Your commander will see that you have all you need. Peterson again. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. In other words, as my Baptist mother would say, don't be so high and mighty that you forget to lean on the everlasting arms. So Paul would write to his beloved Philippians, don't worry about anything, tell God what you need. And haughty old Simon Peter, who knew a few things about anxiety and worry, didn't he? In his old age, learned how to say, what a remarkable statement. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. And do you remember this sentence? Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Set to music, it calls to mind the old African-American gospel song that came out of the Great Depression. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Strategic grace. Strategic grace will set you free from anxious getting to gracious living because it takes away your fear and replaces it with faith. And what a good time for all of us to hear this word as your church moves forward with a most exciting phase of growth and expansion. You're trying to raise nearly $1 million. Now folks, this is what I do for a living. It's my ministry. And here's what I've learned over the last 40 years. If you move forward in fear, you will fail. But if you exchange your fear for courageous faith, knowing that God will supply what you need, you become what Paul called not cheerful givers, but hilarious givers, people who are so blissed out by generous living that you can't get the smiles off their faces. In my backyard in Charlotte is the mother of all bird feeders. It's 12 feet high. It is a veritable bird buffet. And there's also a bird bath over on the side for the truly dirty birds. 
I love sitting out on that patio and watching them fly in from every direction. Beautiful, sleek, graceful, without a care in the world. I especially love the goldfinches. Do you have goldfinches down here? Each one a little yellow smiley face from God. I love feeding those birds. It's like I'm cooperating with the same God who said, look at these birds, they don't do a day's work, and I feed every one of them. Aren't you worth more to me than they? And Jesus said, you can buy two sparrows for a penny, but I know every time one of them falls to the ground, you're worth more to me than many sparrows. Aren't you worth more to God than they are? Some of you will remember the name of Sevilla Martin. Sevilla Martin was married to a Baptist preacher named Walter Martin, and back at the dawn of the 20th century, she and her husband Walter wrote some of the most beloved gospel songs that made it into our hymnal. Many of them about living with and conquering worry. How many of you remember her song from our long ago hymnals, Be Not Dismayed, Whate'er Betide, God Will Take Care of You. That's Sevilla Martin. In the spring of 1905, Sevilla and Walter were vacationing in upstate New York. And while they were vacationing, they developed a deep friendship with a couple by the name of Doolittle. For 20 years, Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden. And her husband was incurably disabled and had to propel himself to and from his job every day in a wheelchair. She bedridden. He permanently disabled, and despite their afflictions, Sevilla and Walter discovered that they were the happiest Christians they'd ever met, that they brought inspiration and comfort to everybody around them. One day, while the Martins were visiting the Doolittles, Walter commented to them on their sense of utter hopefulness, and he asked them for the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple, from the bed she never left. She said, Walter, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. You know what happened next. Sibylla and Walter went back to their vacation cabin. She wrote that night, Her three stanza poem, you remember it, Why Should I Feel Discouraged? Why Should the Shadows Come? Why Should My Heart Be Lonely and Long for Heaven and Home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. She mailed it the next day to her great friend, the composer, Charles Gabriel. But most of us would have never known this story if Ethel Waters hadn't appeared in the movie, member of the wedding, sitting out on the front porch, rocking in a porch swing with two sleepy teenagers in her lap singing, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Remember? 
We all have our favorite verses to that song. Mine is the very last. It's a tribute to God's amazing, strategic grace. It's the cure for what ails us all. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care, he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Friends, he does. And he will. So stand up, church, and flex your muscles, straighten your spines, stride forward into the amazing future that our God is even now preparing for you. And here's what I most want you to hear today. Don't you worry about a thing. Your heavenly Father already knows what you need and has promised to provide. His eye is even on the sparrow. And he is watching, watching, watching. You and me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the indwelling Spirit, we all say, Amen. Amen.